Acts, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. You're turning there, let's talk about uh, where we are in the book of Acts. We've seen a tremendous amount of growth, an explosion of, of Christian conversion. It began on that day of Pentecost, and it did not stop. People were rapidly coming to the Lord. And pretty much almost every example that we've seen of this uh, evangelism, this reaching out, it has come by way of massive It's come, we, we hear of people coming. It's in where the gospel is preached like at Pentecost and other places. In fact, we're not attempts until we get to this point in Acts. Now, certainly they were taking place, surely they were taking place, but that's just not what Luke focused on. In fact, the one place you might say was kind of something like that was in chapter 3 where, where he healed that lame man, but even then it went on to people saw the miracle and there was this big preaching thing going on and, and tons of people coming to the Lord all at the same time. But here we get to uh, the middle of Acts chapter 8, and we're still looking at Philip. We already looked at him last week as he went up to Samaria, and, and the people there were converted and came to the Lord. But as we get to this last uh, part of the chapter, we see uh, the first of three stories of one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Uh, the first story uh, here is... Uh, we're going to read today, and then in the next chapter, we'll see a, a story about the conversion of Saul, and then in chapter 10, about the conversion of Cornelius. So we kind of been looking at the big wide view of the masses, the thousands, the hundreds and thousands coming to Christ, and now all of a sudden, Luke kind of focuses in, and he's looking at personal one-on-one -on -one conversations with people coming to Christ. And so uh, this is a fascinating story for a lot of reasons. And I want to ask if you would please stand with me as we read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. This place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. In humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this man say, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now they went down the road and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? 
And up there, uh, by the way, I've been reading a different translation, as you've noticed, I'm sure. Um, That's going to skip over verse 37, but I'll go ahead and read it. Then Philip said, if you will believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38 says, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and they baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Father God, thank you for your word that is intended for your people to hear it and to be changed by it. Bless it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this passage, uh, we come to a very interesting um, uh, point, what you've already mentioned, in which we start looking at one-on-one conversations with people. The gospel has been spreading. The gospel has been um, going from place to place. It started off in Jerusalem, and then it started moving into Judea, out of Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria. And now we see that it is going even further, because the Spirit of God captures um, the, the attention of, of Philip. And he says, go down south. Go down to a place, a desert road that is uh, by Gaza. And uh, we don't know exactly where this Gaza was. There's a modern-day Gaza. This is probably not exact, exactly the same. The city of Gaza uh, had been destroyed and rebuilt over time. And so we're not sure exactly which place. But somewhere south of Jerusalem in a desert area. And isn't this <clears throat> interesting? It's like if God uh, one day... Uh, comes to you and says, hey, I want you to, uh, to go out in the middle of the woods, and I want you to wait until someone comes along so you can witness to them. You know, we would say, did I, did I hear you correctly, Lord? And, um, but he sends him out there, and he goes out, and he sees this carriage come along, and he's wondering what to do next. And so the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, well, run up alongside of that carriage and see what's going on. And Because now normal folks, when they saw a carriage of a wealthy person, they wouldn't really normally approach that person. And this man was an official in the Ethiopian government. Now, that's not the Ethiopia that uh, we had, that's a nation today. It was actually different back then, a different country in Africa. It was south of Sudan. Uh, this, the country that was Ethiopia in that day, or excuse me, it's what modern-day Sudan is. It was south of Egypt. And so this man, this very wealthy and powerful man, he's in his carriage, and when he's prompted by the Holy Spirit, Philip comes up alongside to see what's going on, and he hears that the words of Isaiah are being read. Uh, by the way, people uh, in ancient times generally did not speak silently or read silently the way we do. You know, oftentimes we think, well, if you, someone's reading out loud, it's, you know, a little kid learning to read, or, or someone must really be trying to, to concentrate. But that was pretty normal back then uh, for them to read out loud, uh, especially in a day in which 
They did not often have the reference with them, and so when they read, they would read out loud, and it would help them to memorize. And he comes up alongside this uh, carriage, and he hears the prophet Isaiah being read. And Philip asks him a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, well, how can I unless someone would explain to me? And he invites Philip up in uh, to the carriage with him. And Philip takes that scripture. And from that point, he begins to explain to him uh, the gospel, taking the, the right there what Isaiah 53 was having to say and explains to him that the prophets were talking about the coming Messiah. And so he, he explains to him fully the gospel. And apparently this man believes because when he comes to a, a body of water, he says, what's stopping me from being baptized? And the Bible says they go down into the water and Philip baptizes him. And when they come out, Philip disappears. Uh, God has taken him and placed him in a town further north where he begins working his way towards Caesarea, preaching the gospel. But the Bible says this man goes on his way rejoicing. Now, there's a couple of things in this passage that really help us to see that the gospel is for all people. Luke is really making, he's at great pains for us to Gospel is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a Jerusalem thing, but it is something for all people to participate and to have hope in. And that is the gospel. And so he presents this story of Philip as he goes down and, and meets this man on his way. So there's a couple of things about this man that uh, we, we just know him as the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know his name. But there's a couple of things about the Ethiopian eunuch that really stand out in terms of the gospel being for all people. One would be his nationality as an Ethiopian, and the other, he was an eunuch. And so these are uh, interesting, sensitive subjects, we might say, but we have to kind of explore them and think about them to see why this was important. Why did Luke include this story? First of all, as we think about uh, his race, he would have been, to be in his position with the Queen uh, Candace, he would have been a black African man. And this is interesting because there might have already been uh, Africans who had already received the message of the gospel, but this is the first one that we know of. This is the first encounter in Scripture. And... Um, it is interesting. If you go to Israel today, you'll know that there are black Jews. You know, hey, when I went over there, there are all different colors and shades of Jewish people, and that's a, that's an interesting thing to see when you go over there. Now, this man had been to Jerusalem to worship, even though he lived all the way in what modern what's modern day Sudan. He had taken a very long, long trip to go to worship Jehovah God there in Jerusalem. And so the Bible doesn't spell out exactly what he was, but believe that he was a proselyte, that is, a convert to Judaism. To worship 
Jehovah God. He already believed in the God of the Old Testament, but he had not yet heard about Jesus. The interesting thing when you think about this man, and he was a, um, he was a very powerful man. He served as the treasurer for Candace. And Candace was kind of the name of any um, Ethiopian queen mother at that time. Kind of like Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Candace was the queen mother. And she would often, especially if the, the king was not yet old enough, uh, she would rule in his place. And this man was a very highly placed official. Had money, wealth, power, all those things. And yet he knew he was still searching for something. Even though he had come and found Jehovah God, he was still looking. He was still searching for something. It's very interesting for us to see that as we look at the Bible and we see where the gospel spread, that this man was the first person not of Middle Eastern descent that we see coming to the gospel. It wasn't a Far Easterner, an Asian. It wasn't a European, but it was an African man that was the first person that we see coming to the gospel. And this has implications for us in our society today because we've had a long and troubled history with, with race in our country. We all know that. We all may have different ideas about what's right and what's wrong and what are the solutions to that, but almost everyone would say we have a troubled history with, with race in our nation. One of the interesting things is that sometimes it's portrayed as uh, Christianity be, being white man's religion. But the reality that we know, not only from this passage, but from church history afterward, is that Christian churches were thriving in Africa before they were ever thriving in Europe. So it's something for us to think of, realize about the spread of the gospel and how it went for all people. Secondly, and probably even more key to understanding that the gospel is for all people, not just the Jews, is the fact that he was a eunuch. In the Jewish faith, uh, you had to be whole as a man to really be allowed full entrance into the Jewish faith. Uh, they would not have circumcised him. They would not have allowed him full worship into the court of men in the temple. How much he loved God and said, I, and I have faith in Jehovah God, this God of the Jews. It would not have been his race, but rather his status as a eunuch, that would have kept him from full participation in the Jewish faith. And so he would have had questions. As I look at the passage that he was reading, in verse 33, it says, In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. That word generation can also be translated descendants. In other words, this man, as he read the book of Isaiah, and he was here described, and it said his life was taken from him, and there are no descendants from him. I imagine this caught this eunuch because he said, 
I'll never, ha- never have any descendants. I'll never have any children. There will be no legacy from me physically. And he began, I think he began to say, what is my life importance? How do I have a significance? Even though I'm a powerful person, what is my lasting significance in life? And he passage. Philip was able to tell him this passage was actually talking about Jesus, who although he would have no physical descendants, would have a legacy that would change this world. And I believe that was the teaching that caught his eye and made him want to pay attention to the gospel and everything that Philip said. I had always thought it was rather odd that when they got to that body of water, the way that the Ethiopian phrased his question was not, oh, let's, here's water, let's, why don't you baptize me? He says, what prevents me from being baptized? Because he was asking a question there. I've never been allowed in the Jewish race. I've never been allowed to be a full participant in that religion because of my physical condition. But what about this Jesus and Christianity stuff that you've been telling me about? Circumcision was initiation into but baptism is initiation into Christianity, into the faith, into the body. And he's asking, am I really good enough? Can I really be accepted in this religion? Am I really okay with God to be a part of this? And the Bible doesn't even... Uh, record anything except for Philip just going down and baptizing him right then and there? And the answer was yes. The verse 37 that I read, it wasn't up here. We know that it was one of those things scribes wrote in later to decide to say, well, surely he must have asked him about his faith to kind of explain it. But the original manuscripts never have that part where he says, do you believe? Yes, I believe. They'd already taken care of that. Philip already knew he'd believed. He was just saying, what's stopping me from being baptized? Realize that there are all sorts of barriers to the gospel. Exclude people sometimes thinkingly and sometimes unthinkingly. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says it doesn't matter what your gender is, male or female, what your race is, red or yellow, black or white, whether you are poor or rich, where you come from geographically, all are welcome into the kingdom of God. And this story powerfully illustrates that the gospel is going to spread. It's going to make its way to every part of creation because that's the way God planned it. And our job is to jump on board. And uh, it may not be that an angel on the shoulder like happened to Philip. It may not be that we necessarily hear something from the Holy Spirit. But we simply know it's our job to go and to spread the gospel wherever Jesus makes it available. 
any opportunity to whomever, whenever, we can share the gospel. We can share the story of life with others. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And God, we, we know that we only know you because you first loved us and also because somebody cared enough to be able to share with us the gospel. For many of us, it was parents or Sunday school teachers or maybe a grandmother or a grandfather or a neighbor. Some, it was a friend or a co-worker. But every one of us had someone who cared enough to share the gospel. Father, I pray that we would realize that your gospel is a universal gospel for all people. God, that we would reach out and we would touch others with that gospel just as we were touched. Father, we pray now for our time of invitation. God, whatever you have for us, whatever you've been speaking to us about, we pray we do business with you right now. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.